with development, there are so many things that can go right, but also so many unbelievable amounts of things that can go wrong. Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's best ever guests as they share it with you. It's the best ever advice with none of the fluff. Let's go. My mom always said it's rude to keep people waiting. Well, best ever listeners, that's exactly what you're doing if you're not funding your deals with our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land. Patch of Land is a crowdfunding marketplace that matches up your deals with accredited and institutional investors who want to invest in your deal. Patch of Land literally has thousands of investors ready to fund your next deal. You don't want to keep them waiting, do you? And guess what? It's a lightning quick process too. In fact, the average patch of land loan closes in just seven days. Is a five to seven day close faster than how long it currently takes you to close on financing? And just think, wouldn't it be wonderful to have all of your financing needs taken care of for all of your deals? How many more deals could you close if you already knew where the money was coming from? With Patch of Land, you no longer have to worry about the financing part. They've got it taken care of for you. Go to Patch of Land and find out how to get your next deal funded by the thousands of investors waiting for you right now. Go to patchofland.com. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-A-N-D.com. Hi, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless, and I'm here with today's guest, Mark Massia. Hi, Mark. Hi, Joe. How are you? Doing well, and thank you for joining us. Mark is joining us from New York City, New York, where he is the president and CEO of Massia Development, and he has over 12 years of experience in real estate. Prior to joining or starting his company, Mark was in charge of developing over 2,500 residential units and multiple retail and mixed-use properties with a total portfolio of over $1.1 billion. He is presently also adjunct professor at NYU, where he teaches the students real estate development principles and practices, as well as advanced real estate financial modeling. And this is really interesting. And Mark was very thorough before our show, and he sent me five interesting facts, but I think we only have time for one of them. I'm going to pick the first one that you mentioned, Mark, where his company was a sponsor on the first ever crowdfunded retail deal in Ohio and subsequently separate separately the first ever crowdfunded medical office deal in Ohio. So he is leading the charge on that end and has, I mean just a wealth of experience. I'm really excited to meet you and and talk to you a little bit more. So Mark, with that being said, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. Of course. Great. Yeah. Um, So as, as you mentioned, kind of started while I was finishing up my first master's degree uh, in uh, the Washington DC area, I went to George Washington undergrad and then finished up a master's there. I started working for a small family real estate development company um, got a lot of really, really great, you know, get my hands dirty experience because the, the team was really small and we were doing, um, pretty large projects. My first project was a $50 million, uh, ground up, uh, condo project there. Um, so we learned a, an immense amount in a very short period of time there and was very lucky to have that opportunity. Um, but as I started to grow, wanted to do kind of bigger things and, and learn from larger organizations that had, you know, a team and, and, and more support. Um, so went to uh, Monument Realty, also in the, the D.C. metro area, 
uh, where I was developing around $250 million worth of projects for them. So scaled up in charge of larger projects. Um, got to work with some institutional partners. Uh, many of them are no longer around now after the the, the financial crisis, like Lehman Brothers. But um, but it was really interesting at the time to see kind of like a higher level finance. Uh, then went back to uh, the New York area where my family's uh, from and and started my master's degree at NYU, and that was in real estate finance. Um, so really wanted to educate myself um, about those higher level finance things that I didn't yet really understood and understand well, although I had um, been exposed to them in my working career. Um, and at, while I was doing that, I was uh, working full time uh, for Archstone Smith, which at the time was uh, the second largest uh, residential uh, REIT uh, public company, uh, which is now uh, split up between Avalon Bay and Equity Residential. Um, but for them, I was doing a huge, uh, you know, 20 plus story uh, ground up construction project on the west side of Manhattan. It was about a $500 million project. So I kept kind of, you know, at least doubling as I changed companies to larger and larger projects. Um, after that, I had planned to start my own company, but I got an opportunity to uh, run a development company uh, that was an international group uh, doing projects in Abu Dhabi and, and sort of throughout the world, uh, which was a really just interesting kind of opportunity I hadn't planned on, uh, on looking for or finding and just kind of fell in my lap. Uh, so I did that for a little while until the financial crisis kind of ended that company and went off and started my own company at that time. Um, so as you mentioned, run Massey Development Now, which is a... Uh, uh, real estate value investment company focusing on retail and medical office nationwide. Uh, we work with uh, some family offices as well as some uh, individual investors, uh, high net worth right now. On your first project, the 50 million condo ground up, then you basically, as you said, you kept doubling and doubling and doubling as you progressed. How long were you at that first family, small family real estate, real estate development company? And what did you take away from that experience? Yeah, um, you know, so I'm, <laughs> I'm somewhat unique in that uh, I think I was always destined to be an entrepreneur. You're very unique because you have two master's degrees, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. I hope I hope I'm more unique than that, but yes, that is something that <laughs> that I do have indeed. Um, yeah, no, I mean, basically, um, I was always trying to have my own company, but I really wanted to learn from a lot of other people um, best practices because I, you know, even now I know all the time that. No matter how much experience I have, I'm still learning from everyone that I do business with. Um, and, and that phase of my growth was really uh, the formative years, especially that that first job. I mean, it was an amazing opportunity where, you know, it was a, it was a big project, a huge project. Um, but we really had three, three people um, in the whole company. We were each running a project around that size. Uh, and my boss had scaled up running a, a family company of his own for a while. Um, to doing these larger projects. So he didn't necessarily know exactly what he was doing either. I mean, he's a very, very smart guy and very successful. Um, we still do business together now. Um, but it was that, that opportunity that really, you know, kind of, uh, leapt my career into, into the stratosphere from the very get go, because I was doing things, you know, at a very early age in my early twenties, um, that most people don't have time or opportunity to do until they're, you know, in their forties or fifties at much larger companies. Um, so that was the most important thing, I think. How did you get that opportunity and work at that company at that early age? Yeah, um, again, I mean, you know, I've been very, very lucky in my life, and I think this was a good example. I, I was, um, you know, doing a lot of personal development growth, um, reading and, and research, and, and as everybody always hears, you know, find your mentor. And I, I found a mentor. I was actually, while I was still in college, working as a realtor um, uh, for Coldwell Banker, and I found sort of the top producing agent in the country, in the company, rather. Um, and kind of, she took me under her wing and was very nice with, uh, her you know, support of me. 
And she was selling uh, condos for uh, the person who eventually became my boss. And I heard about that relationship she had. And I said, oh, you know, I'd love to have dinner with a person like that and just kind of pick his brain. Um, and so what ended up happening was she coordinated that dinner for me. And then, um, you know, what, what we thought was going to be about a 45 minute hour meeting uh, turned into like a four hour dinner where I just had a list of about 30 or 40 uh, written questions and just went through and asked him every single one. And he was really generous with his time and answered, you know, cause I was a, a young, hungry, uh, uh, kid basically looking for, looking for knowledge that he had. Um, and from that interaction, he saw that I was, you know, really genuinely interested in the, in the career path and he happened to be looking to hire, although that wasn't the intent of the meeting. Um, and from that later on, about a, a month later, he called me up and offered me a job kind of out of the blue. What's the time frame from that first $50 million project to starting your own company? How many years? Yeah, great. Yeah, actually, I apologize. You had asked earlier about the timeline and I didn't answer that thoroughly. But uh, I mean, essentially, I spent about two years at each one of those companies. Um, so we're really talking from like 2003. And I started the company in 2006, but really left full time in 2008 um, to run to run my own uh, shop. So about, you know, roughly two years, somewhere a little shorter, somewhere a little longer, but but on average, it was about two years at each one of those companies. And, you know, of course, could have and probably should have spent in some respects longer at each one. Um, but the benefit was I got to see all these different projects at all these different phases of life instead of going and just seeing one project through from beginning to end, which might've taken four years for one project. I was able to see multiple different projects with multiple different organizations. So probably wasn't the best for my resume if I was looking to be a, you know, full-time employee of someone else, but from a learning standpoint, I don't think I could have uh, gotten any, any more fortunate. Somebody approaches you and they're like, I've got this deal. I want to, I'd love to partner with you. And assuming that they come from a credible source. So we'll kind of check that box already. What things do you look for in order to qualify a potential development deal? Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it comes down to, uh, and we do do JVs all the time. So that's a, it's a great question. Um, and we do nationwide. So a lot of times we will work with people who are experts in their specific markets. Um, uh, and, and, the the way we're looking at an individual development is does it fit sort of our long-term criteria so we're a much more long-term investment long-term investor and so we're really looking to you know what is you know what is the likely case scenario and then what is the worst case scenario and we really want to be comfortable that that worst case scenario still meets our investment objectives so from a return perspective from a you know leasing velocity perspective or a sale velocity perspective whatever it is that the type of project is just making sure that, you know, really set the tone for the worst case being something that we're still very happy with before we even get started. Because with development, there are so many things that can go right, but also so many unbelievable amounts of things that can go wrong that some you have control over, some you don't. So you really have to just protect your downside and develop. Let, let's say a broker introduces you to somebody who has, I don't know, 30 acres and it's zoned for multifamily. You sit down with him or her what questions do you ask? Well, typically we'll start with um, our own team who has experience in, in that specific market. So not only, as you mentioned in the beginning, do we want to verify that they're a credible source and that you know we check their background and references and things like that. As you mentioned, we've you know in this theoretical scenario already done, um, but also you know we want to have our own experts um, sort of filling in the gaps because each and each and every individual market is, is, uh, the same in a lot of respects, right? It's still America. It still has a lot of the same brands, a lot of the same people, a lot of the same demographics. Um, but it's, you know, very nuancy. There's local government restrictions, uh, different types of incentives and whatnot. Um, so we really start with, um, sort of a due diligence team 
uh, of local professionals, not of bringing our national um, team to those markets and trying to figure it out, but really, you know, who's done the last three projects that are similar in that specific market, bringing them to the table and having them ask the questions because, you know, the reality is we're experts in the development process, but we're not experts in any individual uh, market that we've never been in. And we don't claim to be, you know, we, we, we're not trying to make the mistakes by that sort of corporate arrogance and saying we know everything in every market. That's absolutely not the case. What if it's a market that you don't have a direct connection to someone in who's an expert in that market? I mean, typically, if we if we don't have a direct connection or we can't find someone, we won't we won't invest in that market. I mean, we're not one of the benefits of doing a nationwide investment approach is we can be very selective. We don't have to um, uh, just do any deal that fits our criteria on the on the baseline numbers. Um, most of of what we're looking for is that you know, diamond in the rough. So we look at a, an immense amount of deals on a weekly, monthly, annual basis to find those, you know, few deals that we actually proceed with. Um, so in a case like that, I think we'd just say we, we wouldn't invest if we can't get comfortable with uh, a local expert. How many deals do you look at on average before you actually get one under contract? Yeah, I mean, typically it's probably about a hundred for one deal. Um, you know, it depends. Like, you know, a few years ago it was a lot easier. There was a lot more um, great opportunities. I think right now uh, there's a lot more competition, a lot more capital in the market. Um, so that's probably the right number now. I'd say, you know, uh, three four years ago it was more like twenty five or thirty. Um, but it, you know, it depends, and uh, it's it's just a factor of the, where the market is. I think. You had mentioned that if you can't find somebody in that market who's a local expert, how would you go about finding someone in that market that you would team up with? Yeah, I mean, everything in our business is about networking, really. Um, you'd be surprised, especially, well, I'm sure you wouldn't be surprised, but some of the best ever listeners might be surprised that on a national basis, um, the real estate industry is actually really small. Um, meaning there's lots of people, but it's a small world. Everyone's can kind of two or three degrees of separation from the person you need to meet. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of uh, national organizations where we know a lot of people that also know people in those local markets, whether it be lawyers that have a sort of association or the, you know, uh, AIA for architects, uh, national association. Um, so we'll go through those avenues to find some local people that, that, either friends or, or people we've worked with in the past have uh, done business with and, and make a warm uh, reference. And if that all fails, I mean, obviously you can look at projects, uh, permits that are going on now uh, in an area near where you want to do your project and see who's working on those. Because a lot of times that way you're, you're not paying for them to learn. They already learned it and are doing all the mistakes that, that, that need to be done on that in order to move forward. Um, so you can sort of leverage that experience. Mark, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Yeah, having worked for a lot of real estate developers and um, also just uh, seeing some of the groups we've worked with in the past, I think the best advice I can give is invest for the long term. And why do you say that? So, you know, from our investment strategy now, you know, we look to plan to hold everything for a 10-year strategy. Um, you know, we may sell before that if a great opportunity comes up, but we look at it like it will be a great asset for now and it'll be a great asset 10 years from now. And that's, that's why we make the investment. Um, we do that to lower our transaction costs first and foremost. Uh, you know, in our industry, it's one of the highest uh, transactional costs uh, to buy and sell of any industry I know of, you know, stock market uh, being sort of the opposite extreme where it's extremely easy to buy and sell for very low cost. Uh, um, and with that, you know, you're losing 12 to 20% of the total uh, proceeds of a deal um, between buy and sell. 
So it just doesn't make sense for us to think about everything as a short-term uh, investment strategy, although that is the uh, typical industry standard is that sort of shorter term, whether it be 12 months or at most 36 months on average. Um, but we look at it as much more of a long-term investment cycle. And from a you know from a personal experience, um, the, we work with many private wealth families um, you know, that have generations of real estate wealth specifically. Uh, and I've seen consistently time and time and again, uh, the buildings that they've sold, they've lost more money on because of losing out on what that property was eventually worth than any building that they, um, they didn't sell. So I think from that individual story and also just from our, our investing uh, appetite, uh, the long term is, is, is really where we think the, the most wealth is built. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I am. All right. Quick word from our sponsor. Could you do more deals if you had more money and didn't have to waste time looking for financing? Are you ready to scale your real estate business and do more deals? Well, let's make that happen. Our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, is ready to fund your next deal. Patch of Land is a crowdfunding marketplace that has thousands of investors waiting for you right now. Find out more at patchofland.com. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-E-N-D.com. Okay, Mark, best ever book you've read? The Snowball, uh, Warren Buffett and the Business of Life by Alice Schroeder. Best ever listeners, I know you like audio, so you can go to freebesteverbook.com and get a free audio version of a book like that. Best ever personal growth experience and what you learned from it. Yeah, you know, a lot of your guests have mentioned uh, Tony Robbins, and I think that's true for me as well. Personal Power to the uh, audio series. I did that back when I was in uh, in college, and it, it truly changed my life in a lot of really positive ways. I'm a very positive person by nature, but that kind of took the, the attitude of gratitude and, and uh, understanding my limiting beliefs and how to change them, uh, clarity on my goals, you know, a lot of those uh, types of um, focal points that he sort of points out that are very true in, I think, most people's lives uh, and really help you to focus um, towards towards pushing yourself to the next level. I was listening to that audio this morning while I was working out, actually. That's right. That's great. <laughs> Best ever success habit you practice? Yeah. Since I was really young, I uh, started keeping a journal. And um, I know that sounds sort of cheesy, but in the, in the grand scheme of things, what it's always helped me to do is um, document where I am and what I'm thinking about in my life right now. Um, help me avoid repeating mistakes so I can actually you know, look back and see things that I've grown and learned from. Uh, it's also helped me to control my emotions, especially with investing. Um, you know, a lot of times people get excited about a deal and then just want to pursue it for the sake of, um, you know, having a transaction or having something to talk about or, or making some money and get short-sighted. Uh, it's really helped me clarify um, what I'm looking to get out of it and uh, is it a good investment, pros and cons, and really just taking time to internally uh, be introspective. Um, so I found that that's, that's a really powerful way for me to kind of step back from the day-to-day and, and think more about what I want and is this achieving uh, what I'm looking to do. Best ever deal you've done? Yeah, probably one of the smallest deals we've done, but it was a phenomenal deal that I wish I had done about 100 more of. Uh, we bought a million-dollar piece of property in Cincinnati. It was a great area in the Hyde Park area. For anybody who knows that, it's a you know kind of a younger, uh, affluent uh, area. Um and it was a uh, Lululemon, which, um, you know, for those who are in the yoga world or, or on the coastal world, we'll see uh, a lot of people wearing that type of clothing. It's, it's extremely expensive, sort of uh, high-end workout brand, um, Canadian brand that's publicly traded in the U.S., uh, credit rated, um, uh, high-quality credit. 
Um, so we, we found it just because um, it was an interesting deal in a market that we were tracking. And, you know, it was something that was at the time, I think, misunderstood by a lot of people um, because it was a condo, a retail condo, and because it was a brand that in Cincinnati was new and sort of in the Midwest wasn't well understood, whereas in the coastal markets where, you know, we do a lot of our work, you know, it's an extremely popular brand, extremely well-known brand. Um, so we were able to pick that up at a, a 10 cap on current, um, you know, uh, and that was roughly a 17% cash on cash year one in place, um, which is a phenomenal return on a deal like that. Um, but at the time, believe it or not, it was extremely hard to convince anyone, uh, even our coastal investors or anyone else, uh, that this was a good deal and a good return. Um, and now, you know, I think people would, uh, our, our investors would beg to have a deal like that. It's just uh, one of those things that was all about timing. Best ever project you're most excited about right now? Yeah, it's really a, a, a push for the company as a whole. Uh, in the past, we'd mostly worked with uh, a small group of core investors that we'd done business with uh, over a long period of time and a few high net worth families, as I mentioned. Um, and, and that was by nature of, of that group and those, those inv- uh, investor families that were um, very uh, cautious about involving new people. Uh, in 2014, uh, as you mentioned at the top of the show, um, we did our first crowdfunded uh, transactions, and that was really the first introduction to new investors. And we've been pushing that in 2015 that we hope to allow even further uh, the expansion of our investment platform to, to uh, you know, more diverse group of investors. And that's not just important for the growth of our company, but generally, generally we're passionate about offering uh, real estate investments. Um, to people who either don't have access to it, either they're busy or they're, they're nervous about doing it on their own, or even to investors uh, and real estate professionals um, who do real estate for a living but don't have access to the markets uh, that we play in necessarily. So uh, someone who you know, spends a lot of their time investing in their own neighborhood um, but is interested in, let's say, they do multifamily, but is interested in getting some exposure to retail or medical office that we do, um, it's an opportunity for them to invest with us now, whereas in the past that hasn't been available. We're really excited about that um, and, and passionate about that as a growth. I'm about to throw you a best ever curveball. Are you all right with that? Sounds great. I love it. Okay. I've you know I've done my research on your company, and I know that you develop, acquire, and own, manage retail, medical, office, multifamily, industrial, student housing. So here we go. Best ever asset class to invest in. Ever or right now? Right now. I think industrial is a market that's lagging the rest of the industry and is still very misunderstood. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Uh, it's one of those industries um, that is very specialized in uh, in its knowledge base. Um, so you know there are really large players that that dominate the industry, but I think that leaves a lot of room on the table for um, smaller individual investors to pick off you know assets that are overlooked by them. Um, whereas you know, a lot of other types of real estate, especially right now, um, you have the, the big institutional players and the smaller players who understand that market really, really well and are kind of uh, limiting the opportunity. So right now, we're, we think industrial happens to be the number one. Okay. And now ever? Ever. I think in the past, we felt multifamily to be uh, the best investment strategy. Um and I think over the long term, that will turn out to be the case. Uh, we haven't invested there in the last uh, few years, just mainly because uh, it's, it's a hyper-competitive market and being a value investment company, uh, we go where everyone else is not going. Best ever quote? 
someone sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago, and that's by Warren Buffett. That aligns with your best ever advice. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Mark, what's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? Yeah, um, and it kind of gets back to the conversation we were talking about earlier in terms of vetting uh, the partner that you're working with and whatnot. So I mentioned we do a lot of JV deals um, to sort of outsource that local market expertise rather than spending an immense amount of time uh, in any one specific market um, and missing out on opportunities in other markets. So one of the first deals that we did uh, in that way was with a group that we had actually known for a very, very long time. And one of the uh, people there was a personal friend of mine. So we were a little too lax um, with our uh, underwriting of their underwriting on the first transaction that we did with them. And, you know, they're very smart guys. They're a great group. I'm still great friends with them. But uh, what what turned out is after we bought the property, a lot of things started going not the way we had anticipated. Um, And I, at the time, too late, but I asked the question, you know, where did you get these facts and figures that you were using for your underwriting, assuming they would say, you know, oh, we did this kind of research or we looked at this report. And the answer was we took the seller's word for it and we took the broker's word for it. And I'm not saying that, that, you know, all sellers and brokers are are not truthful people. There are some great, uh, you know, we've had probably more good sellers and more good brokers than bad, but I think it's a very uh, big red flag if, if you're just taking someone's word for it and not double checking, especially if you don't have a long-standing relationship with them. Uh, so we learned in that instance that you know until we have a long-term track record with someone, uh, have done a few deals with them and see how their process works, we do our own underwriting regardless of, of their local market knowledge um, just to make sure that we don't get caught uh, in that sort of situation again. Mark, what's the best ever place to reach you? Yeah, I mean, email is typically best. So I'd say uh, it's Mark, M-A-R-K, at Mascia, M-A-S-C-I-A, D-E-V dot com. And what's your website? Mascia, my last name, M-A-S-C-I-A, D-E-V dot com. Mark, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your best ever advice with the best ever listeners. And you're talking about how you got started and then also where you're at now and where, where you see things headed you know, how you got into the small family real estate development company by aligning yourself with a top producing agent at the company that you were working at at the time and then saying, hey, I'd I'd love to have dinner and pick his brain, you know, referring to her client and then coming there with a list of 30 plus questions and asking him uh, those questions and showing that you're, you know, not only engaged, but a cut above the rest, quite frankly. And that's kind of what it takes. And, you know, I love that glimpse into who you are and how you got to where you're at, because I would imagine that's a microcosm of how you approach your professional career. And I know if you're into personal development, then, you know, I, I think that even reinforces your mentality and, you know, kind of your approach to business and everything else. And also, you know, how you mentioned it kind of in passing where you were doubling your projects every time you went out, or at least that was your intention and it looks like that happened. And I think that's important too, just from a growth standpoint, because we never want to kind of settle. We want to continue to progress and grow and you're, you're a huge Tony Robbins fan and so am I. And, you know, he talks about that a lot. And then, you know, looking at development opportunities, the local experts filling in the gaps and starting with local professionals and teaming up with them and making sure they're qualified 
you know, we, you know, you, you talked about that learning experience that you had where perhaps the due diligence on the team was a little bit lax based on a pre-existing relationship. So continuing to make sure they're qualified and our deals are underwritten through how we approach things and, you know, looking at, as you mentioned, looking at what is the likely scenario and what's the worst case scenario based on our underwriting guidelines and investing in the long term. And, you know, your Warren Buffett quote reinforces that and, you know, and what you're focused on now, you know, it's incredibly inspiring with how you said multifamily historically looks like that's the best, but, you know, right now perhaps it's a little overheated and, you know, industrial, there's a lot of opportunity because uh, not a lot of small and by small, it's so relative, right? You know, small might be three to you know, 50 million, but the larger institutional companies are in there, but perhaps there's other things that are under their radar that might be opportunities. So it's just such a wonderful conversation. I'm so grateful to, to have you on the show and to meet you and wish you the best and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Hey, you best ever listener. Do you want more? Then go to joefairless.com where you'll get tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And remember to subscribe to the best ever show in iTunes so you can keep getting your daily dose of the best real estate investing advice ever.